Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. And today we have with us... Charlie Bradley. Hello, Charlie! Charlie! Charlie. Yay! Charlie has been referenced many times on the podcast. Has she appeared? I think you've like shown up once or twice before in the podcast. Yeah. Right. At least. Okay. Uh, Charlie is my partner and very sexy girlfriend. And also a person that I took to Burning Man two years in a row. So since we kind of wanted to talk about Burning Man anyway, and uh, I realized that there was a problem with how I took her last year, I think we should do an episode called What to Expect When You're Expecting to Go to Burning Man. <laughs> or, <laughs> or something along those lines. Because um, the thing about Burning Man is when you go to Burning Man and you come back from Burning Man, it is this awesome, amazing quasi-life-changing experience, and you tell everybody about how awesome and amazing it was. But part of the thing that made it awesome and amazing is that it is absolutely horrible and miserable for large stretches of the time there. And you forget to mention that part to people. If you were like me, and you just went in blind, not knowing anything except that it's in the middle of the desert, I, I kind of was expecting it not to be great, although it was far worse than, I, than even I had thought. But when you are someone like Charlie, and you're just told by your partner, yeah, this thing is amazing, you're gonna love it, and then you show up and it's horrible, you have a double, triple extra horrible time. Oh, you, you sold it on, on all the positive vibes rather than like the, the lived moment-to-moment experience, huh? Yes. Uh, so I, I am here to tell everybody about how terrible Burning Man is so that they can make an actual more informed decision about whether they want to uh, tank all the horribleness for the good parts of it. So we talked to Alex a couple weeks ago, and he had a great time, and we talked about all the fun fun bits. But you're right. like I think it is important to emphasize some of the downsides, like... This will be like my my one anecdote that that parallels it all is uh, I went to Japan in 2017, I think, Mm -hmm. for 12 days. And I think my feet got wet, like my shoes got wet, like the second day and they stayed wet the whole time. Holy shit. Um, And, you know, there were days where we walked, you know, six, seven miles, which isn't like too bad if you're going for a hike or whatever. But if you're just walking from place to place, touristy style, it's it's a lot. And I remember thinking, you know, like I'm terribly 15, 14 hour jet lagged or whatever, just thinking, man, this is this is exhausting. I'm not having a ton of fun right this minute, but I'm I like in the moment, I already knew that my remembering self would appreciate it more than my experiencing self. It, and it's true. I look back on it purely fondly. I, I only, the only way that I remember at all that, that, that there are parts that sucked is because I remember thinking about that at the time. But I mean, that, that was, you know, hardly a, an ordeal in the desert. It was just like, sometimes doing stuff is, has unexpected challenges, but then like you, you somehow don't remember those parts or they're at least not, they're not salient. I really despise having wet feet, though, so that would have... To get my feet wet once and then they stay wet for the next four or seven days or whatever would be insane for me. Yeah, it was it was monsoon season, which I think is oh. uh, like 10 months a year. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. But I'm not really sure. It just seems like it's always raining. Okay. It, again, it was fun and beautiful and all that. I bring the, the, yeah, the wet sock thing because everyone knows it's like, oh, man, this just sucked the fun out of my day. Mm-hmm. But I have no emotional attachment to that memory. I just like remember that it happened. All the emotional attachment memories are like all the good ones. So it seems like Burning Man had a similar, I don't want to say trap, pattern? So um, I felt like, and, and this happens a lot in life, people are preparing you for what they will need under those circumstances, not what you will need. Mm. I wasn't given enough information to pack for myself. I have asthma. I have allergies. I have dry eye. At the time, my um, ADHD and anxiety was through the roof, and so I was easily overstimulated, and none of that was taken into account. Just the constant dust 
and noise and no private space, no quiet was overwhelming. What I saw this year, people were very different to newcomers than they were when I was new. And I don't know if that's because they were they had 64% new people in our camp when they gave us the numbers. That's a that's a really high percentage. That's about two-thirds of our group was first timers. So they were a lot more on the telling you things that you need to know, making sure you had the equipment you needed, and like taking it easy on you and encouraging you to do self-care. My whole understanding of the vibe is supposed to be like, you know, I don't know, more of like a dudism abide kind of of approach. How big are camps? Or at least how big was yours? Ours was uh, 200 people about. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. Okay, cool. I, I don't think that, that Inuyasha is wrong about the physical misery thing, but I think that they give you a little list of things to pack on the website. And maybe if your camper pod is super organized, they'll give you even more help, helpful insight. But having the friends that take you talk to you about relevant experiences and your personal needs versus just generalities would probably be helpful. Well, let's get into a few of the more specifics. Yeah. All right. I think one of the major ones that you had a problem with uh, is the dust. And I think everybody knows about the dust, sort of, but they don't really know about the dust until they've experienced the dust. Well, not only that, but it's talked about as though it's it's this wonderful thing that you'll grow to love. <laughs> I still fucking hate it. <laughs> Fuck dust. <laughs> okay. How did you put it? Like, it's one thing to know about it, but you can't really know about it. Yeah. It's a few months ago, but uh, Adam Mestriani, the guy we had on to talk about peer review, wrote a cool post called uh, You Can't Reach the Brain Through the Ears. <laughs> and it, it's, it's a, like a nice long way of putting it in his voice of the inferential distance problem. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, I've already told you, I've conveyed this wisdom. It's like, yeah, but it, it's not going to land. Mm. It really, it's next to impossible yeah. to actually convey what you're trying to convey. It's not if someone can tie it to a similar experience. So, like, if I were taking a first-timer, I would start with their camping experiences. Where have you camped? What environments have you camped in? How did you like it? Have you done any backpacking or hiking? But there is almost no place in the world where people camp that has this kind of dust in it. Like No, okay. but you can start there. Like, some people hate the beach because they can't stand the fucking sand. Yeah, but the sand is different from the dust. Yes, but... That irritation factor is what I'm talking about, Inyash. Okay. Like, oh, you didn't like having little particulate matter in everything. Yeah. For months. Yeah, yeah. In your teeth, in your eyes, in your hair, in your butt crack, under That's your nails, in your food. <laughs> yeah. Like waking up and you're breathing it, coughing on it, choking on it. Yeah, the playa's worse <laughs> so than the beach. Just- that would be like- that would be my connection there. I'd be like, mm, the ply is going to be worse than the beach. You draw a okay. very accurate and hateful picture. <laughs> so just just to kind of frame it for how I'm, I'm interpreting part of this conversation is like I'm I'm on the fence about going next year. One thing I should keep in mind is that if I hate the beach, I'll hate Burning Man. Is that no 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 almost fair to say? And, and then that's nope. that, that's another thing I want to separate. I hate when people assign me fucking thoughts and emotions. Idiosh kept telling everyone. Yep, Charlie hated Burning Man. And I'm like, no, I enjoyed Burning Man. I hate the fucking playa. The environment was ass. It was a shitty 
place to experience Burning Man. Burning Man was fun. What little of it I was able to experience outside of a fucking raging dust storm was great. So is is Burning Man separable from that harsh experience, though? No. Like... No, I, I mean, but... It is not. But, okay. <sighs> but I hear what you're saying. I think, but to... But to uh, it, I've done a part, lot of traveling, to... and I've, I'm very adventurous. The first time I went uh, white water rafting, I immediately fell into water so cold that my <clears> diaphragm <throat> seized up, and I couldn't breathe. This was... We hadn't even launched yet. The rafting guide was like, oh, no. This is going to be like, I could tell by the look on his face. He's like, this is going to be my problem child. Actually, I had a great fucking time and I love rafting. So maybe for some people, the environment and the experience cannot be disentangled. But the life lessons that I've learned is that the first time is the worst time. Like the first time you're in a new environment or doing something new, you're always going to have the most I guess, growing pains, adaptation issues. And it's important to stay focused on what did you enjoy and what can you do better next time? Because otherwise, you're just never going to leave the fucking house. (laughs) So I didn't hate Burning Man my first year. I was, there's a lot of good memories. What I didn't like was having nothing to mitigate the dust from my poor lungs and nose and mouth and ears and eyes. Like, I could have brought so much more equipment and better equipment if I had known how bad it was going to be. For sure. I think Burning Man is, like, being used to encapsulate too much. It's too loaded of a, of a word here. Like, to some people, it's like Burning Man is the entire experience, the whole 10 days or whatever. So for others, it's like, it's the community, it's the vibe, it's the, it's the art. Maybe it's being tangled up too much. Um, I am strongly of the opinion that the misery and the envir- the harshness of the environment is a big part of it. And you can't have Burning Man without that. It seems like there's something transformative about going through the adversity of it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you could go to a cool art thing, maybe. But, you know, unless it hurts, then it's, you know, then it doesn't uh, doesn't pack as much oomph. Is that is that your take? My take is, I mean, it's not just that it hurts. It it resets your your hedonic set point, I guess, to you're not comfortable all the time. You're intensely uncomfortable, actually. And it turns out that that's okay. And it makes you appreciate everything else a whole lot more. It helps you like learn the limits of your own self and your body and re- make you realize that you really can be in these conditions and survive and it'll be okay. And you can adapt. And after a while, you feel better about yourself. You feel more in touch trying to survive with this world and more in touch with all the people that are trying to survive in it with you. Being abjectly miserable sometimes, I think, is definitely an important part of the thing. And if it isn't there, then it's just not the same thing. So that, that was where I think mostly we're talking about the first visit or the first Burning Man. So when you went the second time, Charlie, when you were better prepared, not just like prepared like with whatever was you know you guys packed, but you know mentally prepared for like, all right, here's what here's braced for what's coming. Oh, what absolutely. Your... I had better equipment. I had everything I needed for comfort. That alone was hugely advantageous. Like, huh, I can't I cannot tell you how much better my experience was whenever there was dust, just knowing like I have everything in my backpack and on my body that I need 
to not have terrible asthma and be overstimulated with like with misery sensations to the point where I just want to set myself on fire, do anything to be out of here. Like that was really nice because the other thing was um, this year was a more balanced experience because my first year there was the worst dust they've had in decades from what I heard and like dust and wind, it was just, it was hellish for even people that were really experienced and quote unquote, love the playa <laughs> and the dust. That also was encouraging for me to go back a second year. Cause I was like, okay, so that was an anomaly. That was not standard playa weather. Okay. I will try again because there was a lot of valuable experiences I had out there. And then my theory about the harsh environment is not entirely different than Inuyasha's, but I think like, I don't know, maybe it's because he's an author. Maybe it's because he, he just has this vibe, but like, I feel like a lot of people romanticize misery and suffering and, and I'm, <laughs> I've had a, quite a miserable life full of a lot of suffering. So that I find that a little um, off-putting. Romant romanticizing misery never <laughs> right yeah like have we met um well, but, but this is this is a level of misery that is non-harmful though like oh, oh okay hang on you. hang on yeah, mr yeah. non-harmful okay okay for someone who has mental illness yeah. and is already overstimulated it was indeed harmful i mean do you think there's there's a level of discomfort that can be like uh, as a massage therapist, I'm always giving this speech to my to my clients, my, especially my new clients. You're not just blood and bone, you're a nervous system. And if we ignore your nervous system, if we ignore your brain, we're not doing effective therapy. There's a level of discomfort that is helpful and therapeutic, and then there's just pain. I think with Burning Man, there's a level of discomfort that is helpful and therapeutic, and then there's just suffering. Did you, in retrospect, after having gone through that first year, did you come out weaker and diminished or crippled in some way? Or did you come out stronger in the end? Because like, it can happen either way. I've had my lower disc blow out and that's just, that's just bad. It's miserable and you're weaker and you're crippled forever, at least a little bit. There is no value in that. Do you remember me after Burning Man? Yeah. My anxiety and stress was worse. I mean, we had other things happen within two weeks of coming back right that added to that but i was not okay okay right. so i i'm trying to think of this like just as, as somebody who's a perspective burner was it merely a lack of like the physical stuff that you needed to survive comfortably was that like the only ingredient that made the first time rough or like if you'd had the proper stuff would that have been a breeze no it, second... it was like and they talked about it this year, which is why I think this past year was a great year for first timers. I probably would have had a much more glowing idea of Burning Man if this year had been my first year because they actually talked about, hey, we want you to know that it's normal to feel overwhelmed. It's normal to feel alienated and like you don't belong. And it's normal to be, to need to just go be alone or take time away or to be exhausted. And it's really important that you pay attention to how you're feeling and not just try to keep up with everyone around you mm -hmm. and all these things that I didn't know. I didn't have good emotional support my first year at Burning Man. Basically, it was, tr it was traumatic for me because it was like being a kid again. I 
needed guidance and support, but I was a problem and I felt I couldn't be what everyone wanted me to be fast enough, good enough, hard enough, well enough. It was like such a fucking struggle. I felt like I had to just pretend that I wasn't suffering all the time and just smack on a happy face and just say yes to whatever because otherwise, you know, I'm an asshole and I'm ruining everybody else's good time. This time, everyone was just like constantly asking each other, are you okay? You know, do you need to talk? Would you like, would you like to spend some quiet time over here? You know, have you been hydrating? How would you, how did you sleep? Like there was none of that for me the first year. It was just like, put on your happy face and we're all going to bike across the playa now in the dust storm. Okay. Now that we have established how horrible it is, no, I let's was, get into the just, details. This year was better. Okay. Let's get into the details of what makes it bad so people can be prepared. Steven asked. Okay. Well, I, what, I, what I was trying to ask a couple, was to basically, like, if, if you were better equipped this time, not just because you brought more stuff, but because you had a perspective of what to expect. Oh, absolutely. But also, I felt like everyone was more welcoming and supportive this year. Okay. So I, I guess what, the reason I'm asking is because, like, I'm trying to get in my mind if it's possible to have any concept of what one's getting into before they actually go. Yes. There is, but you're, you're forced to interact with the environment and new people and new aspects of yourself that you can't possibly contemplate. See, that sounds like something that you can't prepare for. <laughs> nope. But okay. there is such a thing as aftercare. And I think that's a good way to prepare for Burning Man, is knowing that when you get home, you're going to need a vacation from your experience and uh, you're going to need to slowly get back into your normal rhythm. It's going to be a little rough. So to mentally prepare yourself for some like pre, pre-aftercare. Yeah, and you're going to need time and space for that. Okay. So how was the second time? It was also unusual weather for as far as burns go, right? But just you know, ha- having come with like the, the fortitude of what, what you built the first time going, and you know, of course, the, the arsenal of stuff that you brought the second time, how would the second one go? Much better. And honestly, the stuff was comforting and having a strategy was comforting. But the best part was that I felt like this year was just people were way more open about how hard it is and way more supportive and welcoming than my first year. And I also just had better support every day. One of the things I did for myself was I made sure that my tent was big enough to stand up in and walk around in. That sounds crazy good for mental health for like i'm imagining myself in the situation it's like yeah i need i need my little zone even if it's just a small room just somewhere where i can stretch and be me you said like the stuff was kind of just nice but it wasn't the solution that made this one good it makes it sound like it's hard again as someone who's prospectively thinking about going it's kind of impossible to know what kind of time i'm going to have irrespective of how well i prepare because like some of it is some large proportion of it is socially dependent yeah, your camp and your campmates will make all the difference. And our camp did a much better job this year of um, preparing people and supporting people than it did last year. And I'm really proud of them for that. Nice. What's the name of the camp you guys did? Or Soft used Landing. Or... See, that sounds like a good name for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the spirit in the name was just much better represented this year for some reason. And I'm... 
I'm proud of them. Maybe everyone else was really pissed about the dust last year, too. And like they were just super grumpy. But that's no excuse to be bad soft landers. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah. One thing that I I like about Burning Man and like so to encourage you as someone who is a first timer who's trying to prepare is people keep describing Burning Man as like, oh, it's this big music and art festival in the middle of the desert where like everyone's running around naked and getting high and it's insane. And I'm like, sure, I guess that's a framework. But what makes it uniquely cathartic, I think, is you're in an environment where you're forced to depend on others for your basic needs within your camp and within the larger community. There's there's no one person there who can do everything by themselves so that they can live in that harsh environment, stay alive and be safe, but also have a good time. What's cool about that is within your group, everyone has a chance to step forward and shine because someone is going to be good at something that needs to get done that nobody else is going to be able to do quite as well. So you all get to take turns leading and basically shining. And it's a great way to bond. And it's a great way to feel accomplishment. I I particularly recommend participating in the build if you can make the time. I think it's great to not just arrive in a camp that was set up for you, but arrive and set up that sanctuary in the desert and see it being built around you and be part of making that happen is so powerful. I highly recommend that if you can do it. It's like that forced interdependence on a healthy level because you can't just depend on everyone around you for everything. That's not going to work either. You're going to have to work hard and contribute is, is really beautiful and it breaks down a lot of barriers. The other thing is that it's a playground for adults. So you're, I don't know, it, it's hard. Well, a quick example is they, they, they'll have a, like a free clothing boutique on the side of the road. You can walk up and just be like, hey, new friend, what are you looking for? A fuzzy jacket? Oh, you look like a medium. Oh, how about this jacket? Oh, I'm looking for this. Oh, yeah, that's great. Oh, that looks great on you. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, thanks. Oh, I'm going to try that on. Awesome. And like, they, you know, they, you'll never see this person again. But you're a, in, in every aspect that matters, you're five years old again on a huge playground for adults. Everyone's your new friend. You can introduce yourself as like Xena, the warrior princess, whatever you're feeling at the moment. It's totally cool. You can play dress up. There's no political incorrectness. And everything's innocent. Like you're walking around naked. People aren't going to shriek, cover their eyes and be like, sex weirdo. It's like <laughs> you're a kid again. Yeah, you can be a dragon and a pirate and a fairy princess and let your wang hang out in the sunshine and it's all innocent and like everyone assumes benign intent and returns that friendliness to you with rare exception and it's just it's a cathartic experience because it's easy to forget that in our day-to-day lives we're all wearing masks and we're all like burdened with so many expectations we went and saw a symphony And there's a lady playing classical violin with a full fox costume on and makeup, right? And then next to her, there's this hard ass looking biker dude with his fucking beard dyed green. And he's (laughs) delicately playing the triangle. Just, you know, in the moments that the symphony requires it, he reaches up and goes, tink. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, with great care and grace. And I'm looking at them and I'm going, you know, these people are the same people playing the symphony in downtown Denver wearing suits and ties. They're the same people, but I don't get to actually see the real person behind my doctors, nurses, lawyers, cops, baristas, like we're all wearing our, our masks. And in Burning Man, you get to wear the masks you choose to wear for fun and show off your creative side and your inner child. And that's part of the catharsis that's worth all the dust eating and sweating and stinky porta potties and, you know, blisters and shit that's going to happen on the playa. That was quite the like inspiring sales pitch. I, <laughs> I, I, I'm processing that. I'm going to come back and tell you about all the terrible things about Burning Man. I don't know why people keep going back to the good things about it. <laughs> well, we, we talked about the bad stuff for a while. That's um, true. But like we didn't get into the details. Oh my god, everything is so hard and takes so long. <laughs> everything. I, I don't know if this is a jumping off point for just because Avinash wanted to, to get into this, but like we, when we were at your place recording last time, you had said that you've cried every year there. Yeah, which, I've, I, I've, I'm, I'm, a big, I'm a big fan of, you know, you're being an emotionally mature adult, like crying is great. Everyone should be allowed to do it. But I was curious what was going through your mind the fourth, the fourth year. <laughs> Well, it's okay. I only no, cry. No, when no, pe- not, 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 not in a judgment way, not trying to make you laugh. Just like, yeah, yeah. Because what, it, was it a surprise? Was it just like forgetting how bad it was? Like, I mean, for starters, I, I just want everyone to know I only cry where no one can see me. So it's a very, very manly crying. But hey, crying in public, yeah, we all saw Barbie. Yeah, know, yeah. It's okay. Yeah. The first year took me by surprise because, again, I had no idea what I was getting into. I, I guess apparently everybody knows that this is a place where people go to see art and dance to music and take drugs and stuff. I did not know any of that stuff. I thought it was just an art festival in the middle of the desert. And I was legit surprised that there was all this music and all this partying and all these drugs. So I, I was a naive, little, sheltered, innocent person. Well, we'll get back to the dust in a second because that's a huge one. But another one of the bad things is that there is constant loud music. Uh, during the day, there will be actually significantly less. During the hot parts of the day especially. But during those parts of the day, it's insanely hot. So you can't sleep or anything. During all hours of the morning and evening and literally the entire night all the way through, there is music blasting from all corners of the playa. It's really kind of interesting. Even if you go out deep in the desert, you can like constantly hear this bass just like thoom, 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 thoom. And it feels like the entire land around you, like the earth itself has a heartbeat is the way it feels to me. Just way out there. And it's it's really kind of cool in my opinion. But when you're not out in the desert, when you're someplace where you're trying to sleep or walk or or do whatever, there's the constant noise around you of several sound systems battling it out. It's kind of overwhelming. Uh, and importantly, if you're trying to sleep, sometimes you're sleeping close to a sound camp if you got placed badly, or if your neighbors are being intentional assholes, or just if someone is uh, driving a sound car through the streets as a prank, which happens, which I will get into the fuck your burn ethos in a little bit. But <laughs> the first night I was okay, but then the second night I had spent two days being insanely hot and dusty and miserable and alone because I basically didn't know anyone there. I didn't know what I was doing. That second night, I was in my tent. The music was pounding nearby. I couldn't sleep. I felt awful. And I was like, motherfucker, I cannot leave. I have five more days of this that I have to live through. What? 
have I done? How am I going to get through this? I cannot stand this. And yet there's no way for me to go home. It was just miserable. Um, and yeah, that was that that was I, I spent a, a bit of time crying there, just just feeling so awful. But, you know, eventually That's I legit. I, yeah, I overcame. And um, I found someplace else to sleep for many of the nights. And uh, after a while, you're like, well, I guess I'm going to be hot and miserable. And that's just the way it's going to be. Turns out it's not so bad to be hot and miserable for a week. You can you can take it. You can get used to anything eventually. The rest of the experience was so awesome that in further years, I was like, yeah, I want to do that again despite the misery. And like I said, I've recently come to think that, you know what? The misery is an important aspect of it. It, it makes the whole thing feel more important it resets your hedonic set point so you just appreciate things more like all of it is great honestly i mean, maybe i didn't break down my second year because the second year was so mild the weather was nice there weren't that many dust storms it wasn't that hot but uh the last two years were also pretty miserable and you know there were there were bad parts in them when you can't not cry you you <laughs> go in your tent late at night and you let it out very silently and then you go and fall asleep and then you get back on the horse the next day. So what was going through my mind was like, you know, I, sure, it's gonna, there's gonna be some shitty parts, but it's absolutely worth it. So I'm going anyway. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I, I totally think that a lot of things are like that. I mean, people don't climb Everest because it's easy. They do it because it was miserable. They lost two toes to frostbite, and they, then they fucking climbed Everest. You know? Right. But Charlie, in your opinion on the experience, like if you could go to Burning Man and just have like a glamping experience the whole time, but then be able to leave your soundproofed, awesome Airstream rv thing to go out and do all the, all the art and festivities would you would you prefer that or do you kind of like sleeping on the ground in a tent and roughing it oh man <sighs> honestly i would totally do the glamping thing oh boy but my partner is in love with suffering because <laughs> his outside. life's been way too fucking easy you you don't so you don't have to go with me with me I, you uh, can camp at a different camp and then we can I, meet up uh, once or twice I I'm um embracing the suck. <laughs> and uh also like I'm um going into the spirit of uh what can I do to engineer a better experience for myself that is still technically camping. Hmm. Because I do like being so the thing about RVs that I wouldn't choose is the isolation factor. And I understand why Inyash is drawn to the tents, although his explanation of it, I'm like, oh, fuck you. That's dumb. Mm. Like, ooh, let's go suffer. It's so much better that way. And I'm like, I, I strongly disagree for my own reasons, but, you know, you do you, bro. The reason I, I, prefer, I would prefer the tents is because we're in a shared community. We have a shared kitchen. We have a shared communal hangout space. If there's loud music next door keeping us all awake, it's keeping all of us awake. So we're like supporting each other, commiserating, like, hey, you want to go hang out since we can't sleep? It's just more community experience. When you're in the, your camper, like people leave you alone. You don't hear them as much. You're not suffering as much as everybody else. You're less connected to the at-large experience everyone else is having in their pods and tents. Yeah. And I don't want to be disconnected from that. So I will sacrifice mm. my comfort for a greater sense of connection because that's part of why I'm there. And I think that is absolutely vital to it. You have to sacrifice that comfort. I think 
a lot of the reason people live so socially isolated in the real world is because it is it's simpler it's easier it's more comfortable you don't have to deal with other people's shit like sometimes they're literal shit depending it <laughs> but it's it's just so worth it i think it's really important to sacrifice that comfort because out in the desert like i i step out of my even when i'm in my tent i can hear sound, sounds of life around me yep I step out of my tent and like I'm right there with friends. Yep. They're they're sitting, they're chatting, they're eating, they're making meals, whatever. Some of them go off for a while, have adventures, but there's still someone there. They come back. Other people cycle in and out. There's there's always somebody there. Whereas out in the real world, I come out of my bedroom and I come downstairs and it is a social desert here. There's nothing. There's there's Charlie, but that's only one person, even as much as I love her. And, you know, even she's not here all the time. We got to leave for other things sometimes. And it's just, it's such a stark difference. I'm like, what what have I gained that I traded away all that social, wonderful joyfulness for? And, like, nothing? Air conditioning? I mean, I, running who water, you know, <laughs> ample food, you know. Yeah. No, th- those things matter, but we we have some like community elders that come in in their cushy RV, and they're they're kind enough to uh, you know share their shower with us, which was a really nice setup. They had an outdoor shower; it was quite luxurious. Mm-hmm. But whenever there's a bad weather event or a lot of noise, sometimes like uh, one of like the wife would come out and uh, she'd be perfectly refreshed and slept just fine in her RV with her earplugs in, whereas no one else in our fucking camp got a wink of sleep because literally the ground was vibrating, like our air mattress was vibrating from the base of the sound camp right next door. Oh my God. And guess when they had their shows? At (laughs) dusk and fucking dawn. The crack of dawn. Oh my God. And she's like, everyone's so tired and her husband's laughing because he got up early and he knew what was going on and he's like yeah she slept through all of that Mm. and he's like i got up and was checking out what the noise was Mm. and he's like you guys didn't sleep last night huh and i was like everyone else was like (laughs) and it was that that bonding you know, like mm-hmm. we all had a shared experience that she wasn't a part of mm-hmm. because of the so, RV. So it's like, yeah, it, if, if I'm still burning in my 60s and 70s, I might occasionally come in an RV. But as I was telling Eniash, I was like, that doesn't mean I won't have a tent in the back of my RV. <laughs> it just means that I know that every once in a while, I'm going to be so grateful to have a sanctuary from the cacophony, the constant overstimulation. Cause that's something that crushes me spiritually and like my brain. Constant overstimulation is bad. Well, and you know, by then you'd have served your time in the desert and you know, no one could give you a hard time for bringing a camper. But it sounds like, like what you're saying is despite the suffering, I, I like to put it, embrace the suck. But <laughs> yep, uh, embrace it, it, the it, it sounds like part of it, that's part of the important experience. Like the fact that we all went through this together. You know, mm-hmm. it, that's that's like what makes the community strong, right? Yeah. So yeah. It, I, don't, I don't know if you'd say that overall the trade-off is worth making. Like, yes, I would take all that suffering because of the community that it built. But it, it definitely doesn't sound like it's all downside. 
No, I think it's necessary to have a shared experience so that you can be closer and support each other. It's really hard for the person that got a good night's sleep to really be there with you in the moment. Right. Yeah. There's a number of things that are extremely uncomfortable about Burning Man. I, I know we alluded to the dust strongly, but I just want to reiterate that this is extremely fine particulate. It is everywhere. And there are periodic windstorms that come through and just kick it up. And it gets in everything. If you have long hair, you absolutely have to get it done into braids. Otherwise, it is going to get in your hair and cake it up and give you bad dreadlocks. And you might have to cut it out. It'll get in the zippers of your tent. It'll get in whatever zippers you have. You want bikes with the least amount of moving parts possible because the dust gets in every little thing and grinds it up. I've been told not to bring anything that you don't want to see destroyed to Burning Man. Word. Like, because, yeah, it might be. And it might not. Like, we had a camper that bought a five, brought a $5,000 camera to Burning Man, which is insane. But she got some amazing pictures. But, yeah, it, it, it might just stop working due to the heat and the dust. You will wake up with some of it on you, no matter what you do. It's in you, man. Yeah. It'll, it's part it'll, of your flesh. Some will get in your food, yeah. And the thing is, everyone tells you it's slightly alkaline, uh, which it is. Not so much that you'd notice, but enough that with a week of it being on your skin, your skin will dry out and crack and like really start to get fucked up. If, if you don't have f good friends that advise you, like, here's some things you can do to prevent having cracked, dry, horribly uncomfortable skin. Yes. Lemon juice is awesome. And like body lotion started not working for me and i have this weird thing if my hands are dry and my mouth goes dry and if my mouth is dry it's so distracting and i'm so miserable that i just want to scream and cry mm -hmm. and uh, that was part of my first year experience that like the overstimulation that made me cry and like hate life because i did not have enough lotion i didn't have saline nasal spray oh my god i was so miserable but this year i brought plenty of hand lotion and i also i wore gloves just light fingertipless gloves captured my sweat just enough that my hands didn't feel powdery. So I was not overstimulated on the misery spectrum. And Inyash noticed that after we were there a few days, he's like, hey, wait a minute. I noticed it almost immediately, but I didn't want to say anything because yeah. I was worried I would draw your attention to it. Yeah, you're like, are, are, how have you been not miserable? And I'm like, oh, it's been bothering me, but... Now that I understand what I'm dealing with, I brought these gloves. I, I've been wearing them all the time. And I said, and I have hand lotion on me constantly. But the hand lotion stopped working. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, I was given this helpful information that, well, it's an alk highly alkaline environment. And I was like, oh. So I put some lemon juice on my hands mm -hmm. and face. And then when I put the lotion on, everything was buttery, smooth, and comfortable again. And I was like, oh, yay, chemistry. Lemon juice nice. or vinegar are the two things that are highly recommended. Put them on wipes, and especially your feet, because your feet are down in the dust all the time. You should do it yeah. at least every other day on your feet. Yeah, so we had like these little spa treatment wipes. We just put lemon juice on them and then wipe your face and your hands and your feet. Mm -hmm. And ah, I, I, I vote lemon juice just because it smells so nice and <laughs> like vinegar's kind of pu stinky mm. i don't know not into it everyone does say that since it's alkaline it'll sterilize anything which 
I guess it's probably sanitize sanitize anything. Sorry, which I guess is probably <laughs> true in the long term. But I think it's mostly a thing people tell themselves so they don't have to feel as bad about being filthy because you're just, you are legit filthy the whole time there, and I don't think it can it can kill things off fast enough to prevent you from getting sick. So people will tell you all the time, yeah, no, just just rub some dust on it, it'll be fine. And I I don't believe them. I don't believe them either because food poisoning in the desert would be awful. <laughs> Well, I mean, here's the thing. I don't know. Or pink eye in the desert. Oh, God. Oh, God. I, I don't know what your experience was, but I think pretty much every time I've been there, I've gotten the shits for at least a, a couple of days. I did not. Not even a little? Mm-mm. Oh, okay. It's extremely common, I believe. So that's another thing you should prepare for. Have uh, some watery poos. Yeah. Bring your own little pharmacy. You, you're going to want anti-diarrheals. Mm-hmm. You're going to want to have some, some good old Pepto. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recommend bringing tablet form of everything because liquid is bulky and heavy. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be bringing plenty of water. We had a nice little pharmacy mm-hmm. and it was very helpful. And in fact, I was the one that packed the anti-diarrheals. So yay, Charlie. So yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> thank you very much for that. Maybe you will get lucky, but I think with high certainty, everyone's going to get some sort of stomach or intestinal trouble for at least a few days when they go because... Yeah, it's there's... a bunch of filthy high strangers handing you food in the desert. Uh-huh. I mean, you know. There, there's not a lot of opportunities <laughs> to clean yourself. For the most part, you're going to be taking wet wipe baths. If you're lucky, your camp may have some sort of shower that you can use, which basically means you run water over you for a minute. Then you soap up as good as you can, and you're more or less out in the elements. You usually have some kind of curtain to protect you from the worst of the wind. And then you rinse off the water as best you can. And you try to do that with a gallon or less, gallon and a half maybe, because uh, you have to pack all that dirty water out with you when you go, and you had to bring that water in on your way in, so there's there's a limited amount of water that you have to work with. Wait, you can't you can't leave your actual like dirty shower water? You cannot. No, you would. I mean, be- I get why I get why they wouldn't encourage you to dump your your shit buckets, but like water. First of all, it's dirty water. It is seventy to eighty thousand people. If they were all leaving their water behind, they would turn that place into a horrible cesspit, and we need it to remain a nature preserve. So. First of all, the the federal government doesn't get mad at us. But yeah, so that all we can their come back shampoos, deodorants, hair products would pollute that water and go directly into the ground in this nat- nature preserve. That's not okay. Yeah. Oh, sure. I guess. Yeah, I was. I didn't. When I pictured the, the shower, I kind of imagined just rinsing the dirt off. In which case, I figure like all I'm doing here is simulating being rained on. That seems like perfectly safe desert water. But yeah, I didn't think about like actually shampooing. Yeah. I can't imagine that being very fruitful with a gallon of water. It actually makes a surprising bit of difference. We oh my god. <laughs> you feel so good. Oh, 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 glory, hallelujahs. In fact, <laughs> one of the best experiences of this year was not using the camp shower. I was glad to have the camp shower set up to collect my gray water and to protect me from the wind a little bit, give me some privacy while I was naked and scrubbing down. But actually, it was one of those where the camp shower broke because it breaks a lot. Mm -hmm. Everything breaks out there. I told Inyash, no, I am bathing tonight, full stop. And he was a sweetheart and he heated me water in the community kitchen. I had a small pot for... Uh, for my washcloth, a big pot of nice hot water, and I did a like old-timey country bath where I started with my hair and soaped all the way down to my feet, and I made a little pot of soapy water and used the soapy washcloth water. And then I did the same thing 
where I rinsed out the washcloth and I started with my hair and I went all the way down and I felt cleaner than when I used the same amount of water in the camp shower. And I was like, our camp shower sucks. <laughs> Bathing old timey with pots was the best shower that I had out there besides my friend's fancy, fancy big shower with plenty of room. That one was cool because, yeah, it was basically like showering at home, only outdoors. So part part of this is selling me on like the misery part because in general, if you describe like, you know, yeah, I took a bath with a pot of hot water and a, and a washcloth, that sounds awful, you know, because <laughs> now we've got, you know, I can go take a shower, you know, in my, with soap and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I use soap. But, but oh, no, I, I, I just mean like compared, compared to, you know, here in, in, reality where you got where you know where we spend most of the most of the year it's only because the baseline out there is lowered so much through the um the intensity of it you can you can take this enormous pleasure and relief in something you know a, as primitive as a you know a hot pot of water and a washcloth and a bit of soap right yeah like oh my god an, an, 18, an 1860s bath feels amazing it, it, would, it, felt, would, it would be held now right it felt amazing i was just like yeah this is how kings and queens did it man <laughs> like i was i was a queen for an evening i was mm -hmm. just like i am so clean i feel so good this was awesome and we had the luxury of using a uh, propane to heat the water so it yeah. didn't take that long and we didn't have to go cut down a tree and have smoke everywhere. That's right. We were thinking about all that. It was awesome. So I it just appreciating our own ingenuity. Like camp showers broken. I can't tell you how many people were like, oh, well, I'm just going to stay filthy, itchy, and miserable then and walked away. And I was like, oh no, I'm a fucking problem solver. Hmm. We've got hot water. I'm bathing. This is happening. <laughs> In addition to this, if you have to use the bathroom, you are going to be walking somewhere. Because yep. the porta potties are usually a block away, you really hope they're a block away. Because if they're not, then you're getting the porta potty stench wafting over your ca camp every now and then. Usually, they don't have many camps near porta potties. So if you have to pee, even pee or poo, you're walking for a while to get there. So you are not going to be doing that as often as you're usually used to. Also, I don't know if some people lie about this, but absolutely everyone has some sort of pee jug or pee bucket or something. Because sometimes you get up in the middle of the night and it's 30 degrees outside and you don't want to hike a block and a half to the stinky ass porta potties oh my god and you're so tired and you're, you're so, so fucking tired deprived. yeah so you just you get up you pee in your tent in the little pee jug or whatever screw the cap back on and then when you get up in the morning you will go to the porta potties and empty it out chamber pots we're back to chamber pots indeed but yeah. no pooing in the chamber pot no please. pooing in the chamber pot you hold that shit <laughs> <laughs> literally also like it's dark sometimes you're having a bad brain day you're suffering from playa brain and uh something might get kicked or knocked over in your tent which is why i say make sure it's a uh, got a good tight lid that stays completely sealed even if it's knocked over oh heck yeah right the other thing is the stench the pee stench it's it's pretty awful like from yeah. your pee bucket but it's easily mitigated if you have the right kind of bucket and you bring some supplies oh yes, that yes. was our lovely discovery this year Ah, there was no stench. It was great. By the way, one of the discomforts that can sometimes be miserable is um, these porta potties are used and abused by people. Mm -hmm. People shit all over the seat. They shit on the sides. 
Uh, they pee everywhere. And uh, the people that clean them, they throw the toilet paper onto the wet surface. They don't even hang them. There's places to hang them. So as someone with a vulva where the toilet paper touches my delicate bits, I gag sometimes and feel like throwing up when I see what the toilet paper's been splashed with or put on top of. I don't sit to pee ever mm -hmm. in a porta potty if I don't have to, but I'm very considerate about raising the seat before I go. Mm. So I don't like to leave a mess for others. So like one of the, the most important things in the desert is to always have your own one ply on you and some hand sanitizer, maybe some baby wipes, because you can really need to do a number two at the most inopportune time. And those portos can be wrecked, wrecked. And you got to go. It, it's going to happen. And uh, yeah, this is when you, you become brave and you like you go through one of the rites of passage of the playa. <laughs> It's disappointing that people will be out there ruining the comments by shitting all over these things. It's it's one thing when it's like high schoolers, you know, being jerks on purpose, you know, ruining the the communal bathroom. But like, you'd think like everyone out there would have the understanding of like, yep, this is everyone's bathroom. We're all stuck out here for a week. We're all fucking grown ups. But I guess not. Every once in a while, you see the opposite. Like, um, I have a video. Sometimes people will. They'll make a luxury porto. So sometimes you really got to poo and you open the porto and you're transported to a new world where you're like, I am actually going to relax while I poop and spend some extra time in here because this is so fun. There's like air freshener and posters and they have cool music that comes on automatically when you, when you go enter the porto. And it's just, you can tell there was love put into this project. Especially because as soon as the porta potty guys come, they're going to tear everything down and throw it away. So it's a temporary art installation that you get to enjoy while you pee and poo. And, but, and most people try to use it responsibly, but I got to tell you, at night, late at night, when people are really high and partying is yeah. when the damage happens. Yeah. Out of 70, 70 to 80,000 people, the vast majority of them are great, especially when they're sober. But there's always going to be a small minority. And when they are very high late at night and partying, that's when things like that can happen. When people vomit or shit all over the place or whatever. I, I don't think they're doing it maliciously. Me neither. In so much as they're totally fucked up. Me neither. Oh, yeah. Then that, then that, yeah, I won't. I wouldn't give anyone a hard time for being out of control, right? It's I mean, I you should I think you should give them a little bit of a hard time because you're not supposed to get that completely out of control, but it does happen. Well, sometimes like you said, you don't know what you're getting into, you know, maybe you don't know how big the dose of whatever you took was or yeah. you didn't also know you'd get heat struck while you had it and you didn't make right. it all the way to the rim of the toilet before you threw up. You, you know, didn't that, know that, that, that you were going to get the squirts from that taco that you ate <laughs> a few hours earlier? Right. From that nice guy with the filthy hands? <laughs> I basically picture this like, uh, you know, like like the Fallout universe where it's yes. like, oh, yeah, you know, you didn't think that roasted rad roach was going to give you, you know, an upset stomach. <laughs> right. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. There was one one time where I went into the Porto, I lifted the seat and it came off and fell on my feet and it had poop on it. <laughs> oh, no. And all over it. Oh. And I was like, I didn't notice that at first. And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> like I cried a little bit, just 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 a few tears, and then like just stepped on top of the seat and did my business. And when I walked out, I told the next person, "The seat is broken and it has poo on it." 
And they went to a different Porto. Smart. I think we've covered all the worst bits. Is there other stuff? Oh, yeah. Earplugs are not enough. You need to bring sleep aids. Yes. And you should also bring pain relievers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need a spittoon separate from your pee bucket so that you can brush your teeth and floss and and bring some mouthwash. You'd be surprised what 10 days to 2 weeks can do damage can do to your gums if you don't take good care of your teeth while you're out there. It's pretty gnarly, man. The Burning Man vibe it is a lot of it is very much like a chill kind of dude, everyone's out here partying thing. Mojo but, Dojo Casa House. Oh my God, Steven. I realized <laughs> while I was out there that the the aesthetic of Burning Man is basically Mojo Dojo Casa House. And Barbie <laughs> palaces. Everywhere I went, I was like, oh my God, this is the Kendom. <laughs> this is beautiful and is exactly the look that that, that movie showed in that scene. But what I was going to get at is that... um. There is also a bit of a hardcore wastelander faction. Um, you are supposed to be self-reliant as much as possible. And I mean, that's not completely possible because it is the environment everyone relies on, everyone else in their camp. Like, I swear to God, after one day out in the desert, you really start to understand the ancient religious um, strictures on if somebody shows up at your door... You fucking give them shelter and you fucking give them food. Like, no questions asked. It doesn't matter if they even speak your language. Right. Because that's that you're going to die otherwise. Like, that's just the only moral thing to do, right? It absolutely makes sense. And people will offer you food and shelter. Mm -hmm. And that is a wonderful thing about Burning Man. However... You don't want to be that asshole. Right. You, you want to be a good guest. You, yes. You don't want to be the one who wanders around all the time living off everybody else. Which brings us to the fuck your burn thing. There are a more hardcore wastelander um, oh. aesthetic out there as well. People who are like, you know what? This place is misery and suffering. And everybody should be reminded of that. I don't know exactly how I feel about it. It's okay, I guess. It's an important part of the playa, even if it is a minority. But there is a... There's, there's pranks that are sometimes pulled. Um, I heard back in the earlier years, the streets are laid out um, like at a, a clock, sort of a clock face grid. At every street corner, uh, there's a sign that shows you what your hour is in the clock direction and what your, how far out you are from the center, which is the, uh, the lettering starting from A and going out through K. In the earlier years, I heard that oftentimes the night the man burned, people would just go around and remove those signs, just like wrench them out of the ground and take them so that people who hadn't been there before and weren't used to seeing all the landmarks, knowing where they were, would just get terribly lost. Because, you know, why are you only here for the two party days, you glamping asshole? You deserve to get lost kind of thing. Uh, Mm. People with sound cars will sometimes drive just slowly through the streets with their sounds up at max and wake everybody. This particularly happens the night of the man burn. That is the big night for going crazy and doing stupid wild shit like that. But sometimes it happens other nights too. There's, you know, just a general, we're not going to make you be in danger or anything, but we're going to make things just a little more difficult for you. And fuck your burn. If you can't take it, you shouldn't be here anyway kind of thing. It's a thing. It, it'll it'll make your burn even slightly more uncomfortable than it really has to be. And you will possibly want to gouge their eyes out. <laughs> but uh, be prepared for that too. That there is, with all that freedom, also comes the freedom to make other people's lives a little worse. Which some people do exercise. 
That's disappointing that someone would spend money and go, you know, work hard to get to the middle of the desert only to be a jerk. What's funny before I forget is you mentioned, you know, like the religious. The, the kind of laws of courtesy and hospitality that a lot of cultures have. It reminded me of one of my favorite uh, Bible quotes from Deuteronomy twenty three thirteen, mm-hmm. And thou shalt have a paddle upon thy weapon, and it shall be when thou wilt ease thyself abroad, thou shalt turn and dig therewith, and thou shalt turn back and cover that which cometh from thee. <laughs> I, I always thought it was funny that God had to instruct, you know, marching soldiers to bury their shit. But it makes sense, especially, you know, you're talking like a camp of 70,000 people. We can't, we'll all get sick for all just out here stomping around in each other's shit. Yeah. I guess the people God is authoring that book for were too dumb to realize that themselves. So he had to put it in his, his book of instructions. Nice. That's a good quote. Yeah, it's a, it's a solid one. <laughs> or we're not. But you got to bury it either way. Depending on what you've been eating. <laughs> that was a good one. Took me yeah, a second. Potty humor. It's my specialty. Yeah, that is a good, that's a good observation, Inihash. Oh, um, they make it very clear there that we are on federal land. Right. And the feds are not your friends. They are here to arrest you. They basically, they look at this as an opportunity, like fish in a barrel, basically. To arrest some hippies. Yeah you know, anyone they can get their hands on. But there are a separate force that that are rangers. One thing I like about our camp is they made it very clear that rangers are volunteers that are part of Burning Man. And their job is to represent you when dealing with the feds. Like, do not interact with the feds. Don't smile at them. Don't talk at them. Don't wave at them. Don't invite them into our fucking camp. Mm -hmm. If they want to talk to you, go out into the street to talk to them. You don't have to tell them where you're camped. You don't have to tell them your real name. You don't have to do anything they tell you to do. And if they're, you know, if they, if they're bothering you, get a ranger. I think you actually may be required to tell them your name. (laughs) <laughs> that might be one of the few things you are required to do by law. The rangers, you know, basically said, be super polite to them and just remember they're not your friends. And yes, we rangers are happy to intercede on your behalf. And they said, unfortunately, we need them out here. So just treat them with courtesy, but remember not to be friendly to them because they're not your friend. And I thought that was brilliant. Well put. And uh, we need to remember that in our day-to-day lives, too. <laughs> the government employees are not your friends, but they are doing an important job. So you treat them with respect, but you don't necessarily invite them into your home or your life or give them unnecessary information. Right. Imagine Good being life the, skills. like the Fed who got assigned to Burning Man duty. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if they volunteer for it or if it's like... You know, pays extra or if it's like a hazing thing they do to each other. It's like, yeah, you got to go sit in the desert know. for a week. That's a good question. Yeah. If you get friendly with one, you have that, which you're not supposed to do, but if it ever happens, you can ask. All right. We covered most of the really awful things about it, right? So why the hell would anyone do this, man? Oh, oh. And we were talking about how everything takes more time. You need to poo or pee. So you're either going to walk or bike to the porta potty. A five-minute potty break is fast. And those minutes add up. Everything takes longer. If you haven't eaten out of bags, boxes, and coolers, and like everything's always filthy, so you got to clean the surfaces, clean your hands, then prepare the food. You got to wait in line if you have a kitchen. You got to share stoves. Every meal is an event. Mm -hmm. That's prep through cleanup. Takes a lot of time. Like I am so grateful when someone else does prep or cleanup and I can just eat 
That's one of the great things about the shared community experience is we all take turns doing family meals, making extra, inviting people to share in the meal. Most people are pretty cool and they try to help you clean up or whatever. So everything's a little less slow, but you got to slow down at Burning Man or you're going to burn yourself out. It's also really hard to plan anything for any sort of time. Oh, God. A lot of people just don't bring watches, and I think that's a good idea. But, like, when <laughs> someone tells you, all right, we're all leaving as a group in 20 minutes, what that means is that in about 25 minutes, they're going to start saying, all right, everybody, we're leaving in 10 minutes. <laughs> and they're going to say that for 30 minutes or so. Right. Every 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean don't be ready on time. It's just... If you're ready on time, be prepared to socialize and and wait while everyone else catches up. Because somebody's going to be running behind. Right. And then there's lines everywhere. And it's very rare that you're going to just get into something and be able to experience it right away. You you, you should probably try to get there early. If something says that it starts at 7, it's not going to start till 7.30. Right. There's no way. But that doesn't mean you don't want to get in line early. So, yeah, scheduling's tough out there. Everything Mm -hmm. takes longer. Mm Mm-hmm. And weather is so disruptive. Like all the schedules go to shit. Right. If there's, there's a bad windstorm, everything shuts down until the windstorm passes. Yep. Yeah. Which can be a fun event. If you're caught in weather, like Inyash was saying, that law of hospitality, like you can go to the nearest camp and be like, hey, you know, uh, can I take some shelter? We, we've seen people wandering around and you can tell they need to sit, they need food, they need water. And our camp's really friendly, but... It's a nice lesson in like situational awareness and community. Mm. We we fed and watered a lot of strangers this year. We had people stay overnight in our tent, not our tent specifically, but in the the big tent. Yep. When it rained. Yeah. Yeah. When there was rain and flooding, we had a bunch of people who were um, basically stranded far from their camp, and we had a publicly available safe sleep space, and that was cool. It was cool to be able to offer that. Yeah, that sounds like an awesomely rewarding experience. Yeah. So when you say, you know, why would you want to do such a thing? It is a very rewarding experience. It's a very different experience from almost anything you can get out in the real world unless you do something like join the military or join one of those like extreme adventuring um, groups. Or climb Everest. Maybe you should just do that next year. Maybe that sounds easier. I mean, I would consider climbing Everest, Everest being one of those extreme adventuring groups. <laughs> yeah, I was oh, kind of being yeah. tongue-in-cheek. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, and when I asked, you know, why would anyone want to do this, I knew you had an answer. I was kind of using it as a segue uh, okay. to give you to give you an opportunity to, you know, dive into the, why do you keep going back, you know? Yeah. You're, you're shitting in buckets that are, you know, covered in shit themselves. <laughs> you're, you're, co- you're covered in dust, and that dust is dusty. You go through all that. You get home. You take a, you know, 45-minute shower. And then you're like, "Hi, right, I'm ready to go back." So what's going on there, man? And Charlie, because you went back after after your like, well, you know, because Enosh's first time had its ups and downs, but your first time was there were aspects of it that were like torturous, and so you you wanted to go back again. So what was what was it that drew you back to try again? I was really surprised you went back the second year, especially since you swore for the first two months after we got back from Burning Man that as much as you liked it, you hated the environment and you would only go to regional burns. I was like, fuck the playa. Yeah. I also didn't want to go to regional burn alone. And everyone that invited me to regional burns was so flaky. They're like, oh, yeah, it's um, soon and I might be with this camp and maybe I can get you a ticket. And I'm like... I run my own business. I need more than soon, maybe might to plan anything. So why did you go back? 
one of the reasons I went back is because I did bond with some of my campmates last year. I saw glimpses of the potential of Burning Man. Plus, it was my first burn, but I've been exposed to burners for over 20 years. Back in the 90s, I started hanging out with burners and I was helping organize and participated in a lot of decompression events in Colorado. I've been hearing about how awesome Burning Man is for over 20 years. And my first time going was, I knew it was not going to be as awesome as everyone was saying, but I got glimpses of the potential. Like, I really, really loved... We, we had a couple days before the dust storms descended on us where we got to go out in the deep playa and just be out there hanging out with people and enjoying the art. And that was cool. And socializing in the camp. We helped build the tea house before the dust storms got really bad. And I thought to myself, like, if Burning Man had more of that and less choking dust storms, <laughs> it would be really awesome. When I first came back, I was just like, okay, that was fucking horrible, and I don't ever want to go to the play again. But what I kept hearing was, that was fucking horrible. What I was hearing after Burning Man that encouraged me to go back was, yeah, we all were fucking miserable, Charlie. It wasn't just you. That was really bad weather. That was the worst fucking dust I've ever seen. And they were expressing that it's not usually like that. And I had a few people that were both with the group and not with the group that were burners that were like, oh, please go again. It's not usually that bad. And I was like, hmm. And then the other thing was you and I really bonded at Burning Man. Mm -hmm. And bonding with my mate is really important to me. Trial of biodiversity is bringing people together. It's Hell yeah. That bonding thing is really big. Like there comes a point where half the reason you go back to Burning Man is just to see those people again. Because even though you only see them for seven to 10 days a year, those are such intense days, both in terms of how much you see each other and in terms of the emotional bond that comes through going through this kind of thing together that like, you can't not see them. It almost feels like the festival is holding your friends at ransom for, you know, $550 for a week to go see them. But like, when else are you going to go see them, honestly? You go back for that feeling of, of community as much as anything. Yeah. I also felt like my other life experiences came into play where I was like, yeah, the first time is the worst time. Yeah. I'm, I'm always better at handling something when I have more agency, more data, and I can make decisions for me. I like that. For a long time, I was a, uh, you know, say no to stuff that I haven't tried before. I didn't like trying new things. My openness score has gone way up over the last decade. So I'll try anything once kind of vibe. I think it was David Youssef was the first person I heard say, I'll try anything twice. It's not merely kind of like a, a tongue in cheek or a play on, you know, I'll try anything once. Yeah. It's like, no, first time is not representative or yep. it very well might not be. It might be important to try something at least one more time to make sure that the first time was how it usually goes or, you know, was that was that exceptionally good or exceptionally bad or something, you know? Yeah. My first two years were also intensely spiritual experiences. And you know me, I'm nowadays always ch chasing those spiritual highs. Chasing them spiritual dragons. Mm -hmm. The last two haven't been as uh, spiritually salient? Not nearly as much, no. Is it? You think it's just because now it's not the same kind of um, tribulations? You know, because now, now it's old hat, you know, you've been there and seen it or... I don't know. I think that's definitely a part of it. I haven't thought about 
too much what the difference may be. I mean, maybe you just need to burn. Maybe you need to burn next year on hard mode. <laughs> I, I I don't know because I think he's misremembering where he was at when he came back from Burning Man two years ago. I mean, that was that was pretty huge. You're right. I guess this year was especially non-spiritual for me. Last year was actually still pretty much pretty. It was it was dampened a bit by how much the dust storms prevented us from going out and doing burning burny things. <laughs> Well, and this year we had the rain interfere mm-hmm, with the mm-hmm. Bernie things. Yep, that too. So we'll see how next year goes, if it's a more normal year. Is there a happy medium between too much dust and too much mud? I mean, well, rather, I know there is. Is there? Is that a realistic expectation to find I mean, going to Burning Man? The perfect amount of mud is zero. But, uh, but there can be too much dust, yeah. I, I still think some dust storms are good. I don't know what 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 are you thinking upon hearing all these things from me and Charlie and also Alex from earlier? Is this a thing that still sounds like you might go to? Um, I'll have to digest it for a bit, but I'm I'm it's it's hard to say in the moment. I'm, I'm feeling if I, if I were to put a vibe on it, I'm less inclined now than I was an hour and a half ago. Okay, but maybe you know I just need to think about actually being ready for what what the experience entails, rather than I mean you you want to try and go out and have a good time, but. You know, is it reasonable to go out and expect to have a good time? Maybe it's hard to say. Yeah, I definitely don't go out expecting to have a good time and do go out expecting to be crying levels of miserable at least once. We have one campmate who says, yeah, every year I have a breakdown. I try to schedule it now because... because she knows she will. It's interesting, but... See, and that, that would have better prepared me. Yeah. Yeah, because everyone kept building it up. Oh, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be so much fun. Just all positives. It's because that's so what you remember afterwards. So when I got there, but, yeah. but when I got there, I was just hit by misery on all sides. So I felt like a fucking failure and a freak on top of all the stuff I was going through. Hmm. Maybe that is like, you know, one of the pieces of advice that can make a huge difference is that like, yeah, man, parts of this are going to suck. Not everyone is, you know, just puppies and rainbows the whole time. And then, you know, because you're right, feeling like the the outsider who just, oh, I just don't get it because I'm, you know, I'm clearly missing something these people have all got. That would suck. It did. Uh, it was terrible. Yes. Just being looped in understanding that like, yeah, everyone has a rough time. This is a hard place to be. You know, I think just being able to go there with that in your mind might be a, a, a hugely important factor. I think if there's any way you can pre-commit to not being able to leave like my first year i went in with a stranger and i was dependent on that same stranger for my ride out so there was no way for me to leave unless i wanted to just you know walk out to the highway and hitchhike back and leave all my stuff behind which i was not about to do if you have something like that that makes it so you just cannot leave no matter how miserable it gets that might be worth doing it's like throwing your steering wheel out the window. When you describe saying make it impossible to leave because you'll want to so bad, that is that's hard to put on the, you know, exciting reasons to go to Burning Man list, <laughs> right? Right. If someone just tuned in and heard that, what would you say to say so that they hear that and they're like, why the hell would you, you know, advise going to this? So what, what is the response to like, yes, it's so terrible. It has parts that are so terrible. You're going to want to trap yourself there so that you can't leave. Because uh, you get through those parts. And it, I mean, it is misery, but it is it is a well-regulated misery that will not leave you injured or dead unless you do something incredibly stupid. Um, but that's true in real life, too. When you're done with it, you're like, oh, I can live through that level of misery and I'm fine. I am stronger than I thought I was. I adapted to this. It makes you feel better about yourself and it gives you a new perspective on like what the world 
is like and what you can do. Yeah. I love it. That's the kind of, that's the kind of the uh, the answer I was hoping for where it's it's hard you, you break down, it's rough, but you realize you you don't break. Yeah. You know, you 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 have a you have a breakdown but you're not shattered, you know, like yeah. you're like, "Oh, I I I came through that that uh what's the word I'm looking for? Not furnace. Um I don't know. I came through that reforged, you know. Mhm. Yeah, I mean, anytime being reforged, that sounds rough, right? So it's like, yeah, you want to make it impossible to to not to, to give up, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't necessarily agree not to have an escape plan, but I think that committing to the full experience and giving yourself some extra time if you get delayed coming home, making sure you have some time to recalibrate when you get home, is just really important to set yourself up for success. It's, it's like committing to anything that's worthwhile. If you aren't in it to the best of your ability to the end, then you can't really walk away with the full experience. You're cutting yourself off short. Also be prepared when you get home, you're going to be spending 8 to 16 man hours just cleaning stuff, getting playa off things, cleaning out your car, packing things away. It is reorganizing, it's an, yeah. Yeah, it's an ordeal even once you're home. That's good to be mindful of too. I think a lot of people like will take vacations and think that like getting back Sunday mid afternoon is fine to go back to work on Monday. Mm. After any sort of ordeal or any any just major thing, you need just a, some decompression time. And with this, the decompression time also has, uh, like you said, work. So mm. Burning Man yeah. is a boot camp. What what do you what do you come out with? Well, that depends on the individual. What you brought with you will be transmuted in the Burning Man boot camp. What did you come out with? A sense that I was seeing the camp that I was associated with grow in positive ways. I was also seeing my relationship with Eniash grow in positive ways. And I was gratified that I, like, I'm proud of myself for being willing to gather data, reassess, and commit to that experience again, to go at it, not with fresh eyes, but with wizened eyes and have a better experience like that was my accomplishment yeah i i think i thought that and i didn't mean i didn't want to interrupt and say it earlier but that's actually super badass and if, and uh it's important to me that you hear that because yeah. you know going going through something that shitty and then saying you know picking yourself up literally and figuratively dusting yourself off and saying okay let's <laughs> do it again uh that's hardcore that's awesome you know for whatever it's worth way to go i think that's that's really cool i i can't say that i would do have anything like the impulse to do the same i'd be like all right yep i was there it sucked fuck this i'm glad people have fun but it's not my jam i think that'd be i think that's much more kind of my, my style of reaction but uh you know you you understood after talking to people like hey maybe that was an anomaly i'm willing to give it another shot and that, that's 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 hardcore that's awesome wherever we post this I, and if you guys haven't if you guys took any pictures i want to see them i mean and maybe i should maybe that's not the point but if it you know so anyone doesn't want a spoiler don't don't find these but it's impossible to capture through media, but it'd still be fun to look at. We definitely took some oh, cool. pictures that were for you specifically. What? Oh, heck yeah. Well, that's fun. Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. You, we, well, you I need were, to see You those. were there with us in spirit. We were just like, oh, we have to, we have to show Stephen these cool things. He will appreciate this. Oh, well, thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> cool. All right. Aloha. Cool. Thanks a lot. Aloha. This is Alex Hedke, who we've interviewed a few times before and is the uh, founder of the Guild of the Rose and an awesome rationalist out of Kansas City. Oh, yes. Yeah. Hello, everyone. I'm hey, buddy. Co-founder. I think people would, would object to... Okay. Co-founder. My bad. <laughs> For context, this is my second burn. 
last year was my first. Uh, which oh, I thought this was your first for some reason. It was. It is not. However, um, it, this one is somewhat unique in the fact that last year I mostly spent getting used to the burn. Like I had no idea what it was going to be like. I mean, academically, I knew, but you know, nothing really emotionally prepares you for the burn. Yeah. And I spent my year basically just hyper-optimizing because that's who I am. I'm an <laughs> optimizer, as will come to no surprise to anyone in this community. I absolutely love trying to calculate down to the, the gram of protein that I plan to portion out every day and what my clothes situation is going to be like every single day and what my margin of error is going to be like on both of those things. Um, so last year was mostly getting used to the idea of Burning Man and figuring out how all my various plans will not survive first contact <laughs> with Black Rock City. How long were you there for last year? Were you there for the whole week? Yep, uh, last year I was there for the whole week. Uh, I got to take the, the man burn and the temple burn. Oh my god. All right. Were you there with a camp or were you solo? With the camp. Same camp I was with this year, Captain Pump's Raiders. Uh, it is the uh, one of the most amazing uh, nerd camps on Playa. They run tabletop role-playing game conventions a couple days out of the week. And because a lot of people are going to want to know, how do you get into a new camp like that? Like, did you have a friend that invited you or what was the deal? Yeah, so this one, I knew a friend. Uh, a friend of mine in Kansas City also camps with this group. Cool. And so it was, it was purely word of mouth. However, if you don't know anyone uh, personally who is in a camp, you have a couple options. Uh, option one, you could camp solo, which they, there is a spot in Black Rock City for people who are just pitching up a tent individually or mm -hmm. parking a trailer. However, I highly recommend finding a camp in which case you could also go to the Burning Man subreddit or uh, find various Facebook groups for Burning Man uh, camp seekers. So just just give me some scope because I haven't been. How big are we? Like, it sounds like you guys didn't meet up at Burning Man, which tells me this place is big. We did, actually. Uh, I think I caught you just like an hour after you had driven into camp. Um, the morning of, yeah. I had actually driven in at like 5 a.m. and fell asleep. Ah. And then you guys caught me uh, after I'd woken up. <laughs> yes. But yes, I actually know a handful of people. I knew a handful of people there at Burning Man, and I didn't really get to see any of them. Um, it's a very large place, which is extremely chaotic, and the only way to get around is on a bike during the heat and in the dust, and when you're surrounded by a million and one shiny things that are all vying for your attention. Yeah, I specifically made an effort to drive, well, drive, bike out to several people that I knew. Uh, I got lucky in that I did manage to meet with all of them. They were in their camp at the time. Nice. That's that's a big thing with Burning Man. Like, you don't really have a way to communicate. So you show up at the camp and you hope they're there. And if they are, you say hello. And uh, if they're busy, you say hello for like three, four minutes and then you move on. And if they're not, then like maybe you guys can hang out for an hour or whatever. But it is a very hard to plan place. Everything is unstructured, and that is one of the magical things about it. Yes. That's what I was thinking with the lack of cell service. What I would do if I was planning this myself would be, like as a kid, I had walkie-talkies mm -hmm. for fun. Mm -hmm. And now they have phone apps with walkie-talkie apps, but those still rely on cell data. Right. Uh, but I, I'm sure that they come pretty cheap. They've got you know two, three-mile range. Mm -hmm. You just mail the people you want to meet a walkie-talkie, tell them which channel, and, and uh, 
see when they're around, right? I've looked into this. My, my cursory research and the advice I've received from people on the Burning Man subreddit is that typical walkie-talkies won't work very well because everyone is using them and mm-hmm. the channels are uh. crowded and become basically unusable. And so the actual solution to this would be to get ham radios. Uh, That's what I was going to say if you're hardcore. Yeah. That would that requires you to all get ham radio licenses, but it would solve that problem. It requires that you should get ham radio. <laughs> <laughs> Alternately, you could just do like uh, flare signals at night. Yeah, you could do that. Right. See that that yeah. would be epic. When you said walkie talkies, I was like, eh, like that's that kind of that brings technology and modern world into a place that's supposed to be all magical and serendipitous. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're doing ham radio shit or sending up flare signals, you are being creative and breaking the rules and shit and burning man is all about that stuff so i would say that's totally in the spirit and you can be like you know the ham radio nerds yeah, yeah. Eh, i'm gonna put walkie talkie in the same category though when was the last time you used one? no walkie talkie is too easy the the whole point is things shouldn't be easy <laughs> yeah like, well in, in that case just look for them the old-fashioned way right? that's what i did <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 frankly put on an eye patch and and just you know Make it make it twice. I'm going to cut off my hand for next burn. <laughs> uh, fun fact: this whole chaos of the city and the difficulty with finding specific people is also what makes mail delivery very difficult. So, mail there is an actual post office at Burning Man which can receive and send USPS certified mail, and then to distribute it among the city. Um, they accept volunteers. So you, just an average Joe at Burning Man, can go up to the post office and say, hey, do you have any mail to deliver? That's what I did this year, and I highly recommend it. I received this little tiny package that said, in case of emergency, uh, delicate. Uh, so I, And then it had the address of the person who was in the city, and they were way off in the boonies at like 2 o'clock. They were off in the boonies, and I had to deliver this package to a specific person at a specific camp. And unsurprisingly, they were not there the first several times I tried to deliver this package. But when I successfully delivered it, it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. I highly recommend that to everyone who is doing Burning Man. Deliver at least one thing. It It forces you to go somewhere that you might not otherwise go. And everyone loves receiving mail on the playa. That is an awesome recommendation. And you can't just leave it at their tent? You have to hand it to them in person? You have to hand it to them in person. I mean, I'm sure some people are lazy and just leave it at the tent, but you're specifically not supposed to do that. Post Postmaster uh, is a very, you know, responsible position. Yeah. I think next year I'm going to get a post post office, Postmaster uh, hat hmm. uh, with a little medallion on the front. Get one of those uh, tote bags. Oh, yeah, hell yeah. yeah. BMPS. <laughs> I'm gonna live my uh, my best Kevin Costner in the Postman uh, life. It would probably be BRCPS because technically the place is called Black Rock City. Black Rock City Post Office. Yeah. Yeah. Burning yeah, Man is the event. BMPS seems adds adds a bit of humor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. BM is also short for Bowel <laughs> right. Movement. Yeah. <laughs> so your first year, what was a thing that you were absolutely un not expecting and unprepared for? I think the subjective experience of being stuck in a dust storm. Mm. I I was I was prepared for it logistically. I had my whole dust getup. Um, I had my my uh, my mask filtration system with a shemag, a, a cloth, and then a some ski goggles to protect my eyes. And I was ready to go. I knew what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. But 
nothing quite prepares you for the sensation, the experience of being trapped in the dust for an extended period of time with all this shit just wrapped around your face, sealing you in and getting hot and muggy and sweaty and dusty. It's it's not fun. And I grew to really despise those dust storms. (laughs) Where was Um, it that you got trapped? Um, on multiple occasions, it was just in the camp. Like okay. we were just walking around my camp, but I had to wear this full gear if I wanted to like get food or something. Yeah, and it, it was really annoying. Uh, no, there was there was no shelter except holding up in your tent, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Camp, at least in camp, you have a tent and you have like friends that you can hang out with if you have like a larger uh, community structure. Like yeah. when you get stuck out in the playa, that that kind of sucks. Yeah, absolutely. I almost got stuck in the uh, trapped in the playa this year, uh, right, right, right before the rain hit. There was a big whiteout preceding the uh, the downfall. Dude, the rain this year was crazy. We had to abandon our bikes because uh, we were coming in from the temple when it hit, and mm-hmm. uh, they the, yeah the wheels just locked up. We dragged them to uh, the closest art piece that we could find later, chained them together, and trudged home like through this just bone chilling cold wet. It, it was an adventure. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy these. I'm I'm someone who tends to not like discomfort. I like my I like being cozy. I like being clean. I like my running. Water. Here, here. <laughs> but when you when I go out to the playa, like something switches, something flips, and I just I revel in a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, I still have a bar, and that bar is apparently dust storms. <laughs> but <laughs> I still am able to find happiness and joy in the experiences out there that would otherwise be miserable in the default world. I think I could enjoy the, like, you're right. Cause I mean, around, around the house, part of the downside of being filthy is you're getting your house filthy. Yeah. If you're already committed to being outside all day or whatever, and you're, you know, or if you come in from a project in the garage or whatever, and you're, you're a mess, like that's actually kind of rewarding. Mm-hmm. I think my limit would be like, I mean, keeping stuff out of your eyes and, you know, delicate orifices is a, is a no brainer, but like, I, I think sand in my butt crack would be like, all right, you know what? I need, I, I need a shower. Now. And if I can't get one, I'm going to be bad. Yeah. You have wet wipes yeah. to get those that sand out. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. I honestly think that the misery is part of the point and makes the entire experience subjectively good. Uh, I'm going to have a blog post out about this thing before this episode goes up, but the constant, low-key comfort of the modern life like desensitizes us there's nothing nothing low-key about it man well i mean sometimes it's very high-key comfort yeah but like just being subjected to misery for a while you can revel in it for a while and it feels good actually as long as it isn't like your entire life yeah yeah i try to do that whenever i'm like eating something unpleasant (laughs) (laughs) no i'm serious i put on that kind of mindset of like okay well i don't i wouldn't choose this Mm -hmm. right i i won't do it again Mm -hmm. but here i am let's Let's kind of yeah. Let's get the most you know, out of ta- it. Ta- yeah. Let's let's take in the experience of what this is like. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's. I, I just uh, I didn't mean to talk over you before, and I said there's nothing mild about the comfort creature comforts of home. But like right now, I'm in a temperature controlled room with all the photons I want. I've got an air purifier running. Mm-hmm. I could scarcely be more comfortable. Uh, so on one hand, I think it was John Green who said, "I don't need to eat broccoli." to know that chocolate tastes good. But <laughs> on the other hand, I do agree that our mo- our modern lifestyles have just given us, have been hyper-optimized for comfort to such an extent that we're on this hedonic treadmill that uh, we're, n- n- the more comfort we get, the more comfort, the higher our standards for comfort become. 
And that makes us miss out on a lot of really small things that we that we might miss because of the mild discomfort associated with them. Um, I know there's a lot of scientific bunk around the idea of dopamine detoxing, and I, uh, but there is a sense in which like, we stimulate ourselves too much uh, and distract ourselves too much by always seeking comfort. And when you're out on the playa, or really anything like that, when you're expanding your comfort zone, you are forced to see the small little things that uh, you might otherwise miss. I think I get more dopamine out on the playa than I do in four or five months of living in the suburbs. It is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is just an intensely fulfilling place to be. Yes, I, I agree with that as well. I, I think it's just in the modern world we take it for granted. When you're out on the playa and you, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, you tend to notice it a lot more. I know some people who camp at least once a month, and you know, not not like the drive my my trailer out to the trailer, you know, whatever, whatever you call it, the camping grounds Mm -hmm. and park my thing with full working toilet and everything. No, like they take a tent and march into the woods, right? Part of, part of the average comforts of just being at home. Like that's part of why I like the gym. Like if I woke up feeling like I do when I'm using a machine or like on a a Stairmaster or whatever, if I just woke up feeling that way, I'd go to the hospital, right? Oh. <laughs> uh, it, like the experience of, of like, oh my God, my back is on fire. I can't lift my legs, whatever, mm-hmm. right? But when you're doing it there on purpose, it's like this enormous rush, right? Yeah. You are overcoming uh, something. You are victorious. Yeah. I'm trying to think of like more accessible and more um, uh, frequent ways that people can kind of get many versions of this. I, I, I'm not going to pretend like any of the things I can think of are the least bit equivalent to a week in the desert, but like, you know, air travel sucks. Yeah. And then you can get up and like stand your full height and stretch your arms all the way. And like, oh my God, I couldn't do this for six <laughs> whole hours. This is great. Right. Just being mindful for those little moments, you know? Is there something that was unexpected in a way that like wasn't awful and wasn't necessarily great, but was just a surprise in some way? Something that maybe you would have wanted to know or or something even that you were glad you didn't know because the surprise was cool? Hmm. Although if it's the latter, maybe we shouldn't tell people because that would uh, that could ruin. Yeah, I, I think I can I can talk about this while it still come as a surprise to people. Mm-hmm. So you'll hear a lot about the sheer serendipity at Burning Man. Mm-hmm. So there are so many people there. So, so the, the festival itself selects for a certain kind of person, a person who seeks uh, adventure or creativity in everything. And you're taking all these people and you're putting them in this city where everything is freely given and community is paramount and everyone is encouraged to radically express who they truly are and everyone understands that this is what the culture is so there's no fear of judgment. And everyone just goes ham on trying to make this experience as magical and weird as possible. And when you have 70,000 people doing that in such a small space, weird shit starts to happen. (laughs) And it's difficult to describe this. However, I, I, I will occasionally just have a craving for something like a drink or a food stuff. And I'm biking around on the playa. And the next moment I turn a corner and there's someone, I don't know, on a tricycle wheeling behind them a cart of freshly grilled cheese sandwiches or something mm-hmm. that I was craving. 
I'm vegan, so it would be something different, but maybe vegan grilled cheese sandwiches. Any, there's so many coincidences that happen out there. I like to describe it as, you know, when you're, when you're rolling a fair dice, there will be times when you just roll improbable rolls uh, consecutively. And of course, when you average those out, it averages out to still be a fair dice. But Burning Man is like that slice of rolls where you have rolled really improbably. Um, and it is just a magical experience and makes me really appreciate uh, everything in my default world all the more and allows me to see the magic in it. What would you t- say to someone to prepare themselves for Burning Man the best, whatever that means to you? Make sure that you read the Burning Man Survival Guide on the Burning Man website. Uh, that's my mundane piece of advice. And my less mundane piece of advice would be to, I rec- highly rec- I cannot recommend enough finding a camp to join. Uh, burning with people is important. Mm-hmm. And especially make sure you burn with people that you like. Uh, try your best to make sure you don't end up with a camp of people that uh, you don't vibe with, uh, as the kids say. Uh, what was, I guess, your favorite part out of either last year or this year? So this year, specifically, there was a Viking-themed camp called Mythmaker, and they were running a, a game where they, they gave you a list of quests that you had to perform in exchange for experience points. And at the end of Burn... Uh, the person with the most experience points is going to win a sword. And like, they're, they're like Viking runes carved on this long sword. It was pretty badass. Nice. And so I decided I was going to win that sword. So I looked at these lists of quests. They ranged from the small things like taking a selfie with someone dressed as a unicorn, uh, all the way up to strip down naked and run from camp to camp assembling a costume from pieces people gift you. Hmm. One another one was climb the highest uh, point that you can find. Another one was find three black rocks, and so on and so forth. A bunch of weird little things that forced me to go to weird, interesting places and expand my comfort zone in ways that I have never done before. Like I've never, I I did do the the strip down naked one, and I ran around the playa naked. That was a huge comfort zone expansion for me. I've never done that before. Um, also, I tend to be afraid of heights, so taking the challenge to find the highest point I could find and climb it was terrifying, but I, it was very rewarding for me because I really felt like I earned that. Yeah. It sounds extra terrifying given the lack of available medical services. Yeah, that's... Involving, you know, if you're a fall and break your arm, you kind of just be screwed yeah, for a few days, much. but uh, um, the rest of it sounds fun. It is really fun, and... Now, disappointingly, even though I did win the competition, they postponed the awarding of the sword to next year because there was more stuff they wanted to do. Oh, no. So I'm really salty about that. Uh, but, you know, maybe the real sword were the, the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Are you still going to get the sword next year? I don't know. They have other things they want to have us compete over what to the win fuck? the sword. They said yeah. you win the sword if you get the most points. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah they, uh they weren't the most organized, unfortunately. I, um, you know what? Show me this MythMaker's website or Twitter account or something, and we will put them on notice. <laughs> yeah, my camp has been uh, discussing um, some possible courses of action for next year. So yeah. I'll keep you in the loop. <laughs> Ooh, you guys should bring like a bunch of rotten eggs and throw them into their camp or something. We are called Captain Pump's Raiders. Nice.
so <laughs> what was the structure you climbed? Um, it was called Phoenix Rising. It was this massive tower made out of, I don't know, pipes and, part, and I don't know, it basically particle board. Oh, yeah, um, yeah I saw it. Yeah. You, 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 the moment you start climbing it, you realize, I don't think OSHA would approve of it. <laughs> um, this is, there is no, who knows what kind of quality control is going into this thing. Mm-hmm. It's like literally a hundred feet high it, or, or higher. I don't know. I didn't have any sense of perspective, but it was massive yeah. and easily one of the tallest structures out there in the city. And halfway up, I feel other people climbing up after me and the whole structure is like wobbling a little bit. Mm. Um, there's not really any handrails to speak of. You just kind of free climb it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was great. I loved it and hated it and would do it again. Well, the whole thing was kind of handrails and foot, foot rails, right? Cause it was, uh, when well, I looked on the inside, it was a bunch of wooden beams. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't remember what the Borg cube out in the desert was called, but, uh, it was eight of those water cubes stacked on top of each other. And, uh, they, they had them in like an eight by eight cube and I climbed to the top of that. And that was amazing. This next question. I may put it out to patrons only. I may cut it out entirely. Like this is entirely up to you. If you don't feel comfortable uh, answering this or whatever, uh, I'm yes. going to wait. I have a, I have a less uh, provocative. Question. Okay. Go for it <laughs> real quick. This is a simple one. I asked Inyash which he preferred mudstorm or sandstorm. Oh my God. Uh, uh, fuck. Uh, if you got to pick the weather next year out of just those two, would you pick I'll, last I'll, year's weather or this year's weather? I would pick the sandstorm again. Uh, oh man, that's what he said too. That's that's surprising. <laughs> yeah. So here's yeah here's the thing. At least I can. I at least the dust storm when when it ends, it's just business as usual. When the mud storm ends, there's still mud everywhere. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, fair. Yeah, hit me with the uh, uh, provocative question. All right. Upon reflection, it was decided that this particular question should only be available to patrons. To hear all the juicy gossip, sign up as a patron through Patreon, link in the show notes. Also, as a further update, Alex does not expect to receive the sword at all. We are linking Mythmaker's social media stuff in case you want to encourage them to do the right thing. Uh, while we're on the subject of, of uh, delicate, uh, provocative stuff, yeah. um, this year also, I did not do any drugs at all. Um, well, you did was- alcohol. I did alcohol. Mm. Yeah. Everyone does alcohol though, even in default world. Would theoretical Alex in an alternate universe have done drugs last year? Oh yes, absolutely. Oh, okay, um, cool. One hundred percent. I kind of had a policy of not doing a new drug for the first time on the playa. That sounds sensible. Yeah, well, that sounds- yeah. The- theoretical Eniosh last year may have tried a uh, a very small dose of a mild substance uh, for the first yeah. time, and that would have been fine for theoretical Eniosh. Uh, but do you want to go ahead and make that slightly less <laughs> vague? Which, which substance? Oh, uh, apparently DMT, the shit that gives you these insane hallucinations for fifteen minutes. Oh, yeah? If you take just yeah. a tiny bit of it, it's just a mild psychedelic. You just like get some pixelated stuff and a little bit of shiny for you know fifteen twenty minutes. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. And someone was all like, yeah, this is just incredibly mild. Would your friend whose name is also Eniosh would like to try some? And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I'm hanging out at this art piece for the next 20 minutes anyway. Yeah, they- See, I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know if saying I'd be willing to commit a crime is a crime. <laughs> but uh, I, DMT is the one drug that I uh, would try basically given any opportunity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming I'm like not behind the wheel of a car or something. Right. Because it's it's started and it's started and over with so quickly. Mm-hmm. That like 
you know, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm ready to find out. <laughs> <laughs> and just, I, I'm planning on trying to go probably next year. Um, I was, I got like a, a last second, Hey, we've got room at this camp uh, this year, but given all the prep that was involved and having had done zero of it, <laughs> uh, I wasn't prepared to drop everything and, and go out there for a couple of weeks. But cause I'm, I'm very much of a, you know, creature comforts kind of guy. Like I've got an expensive mattress and, you know, like I said, air conditioning and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But there is something about, I think it taps, it, tell me if I'm reading into this wrong, but I think, I think there's something about the experience that taps into if, if humans can be said to have anything like genet- genetic memory, you know, it's like, oh ah, yeah, this is, this is the way my ancestors lived. Absolutely. The Savannah. Yep. Yeah. I think there is something to be said for just showing up with like one box of shit and knowing some of the basics that'll keep you safe and going in blind. Yeah. I mean, that, that sounds more my speed because it also sounds easier, but mm-hmm. like, I'd want to know what to put in that box. Like I, I'm not the level of Alex preparedness of like, you know, count of weighing my, my calories for every day or whatever, but like what kind of ski goggles keep dust out so, some, some level of basic stuff. Yeah. Please. Anyone who goes out there, please be capable of supporting yourself out there yes. uh, and surviving. Um, one of the principles of running man is radical self-reliance. So make sure you uh, aren't a mooch or <laughs> on anyone else. But uh, yeah, there's definitely something to be said for don't look at any of the camps ahead of time. Don't go in with any expectations. Uh, don't make plans. Just go in and let the flyer take you where it takes you. Absolutely. I, I, uh, it's absolutely valid and is definitely a good time. Hell yeah. All right. Well, Alex, is there anything else you would like to say on the topic of what people should expect if they're going for their first time to Burning Man? Maybe a slightly indirect answer to that question is... I don't think Burning Man is for everyone. Mm. Um, I think I, I know some people for whom they would be absolutely miserable at Burning Man, and maybe that just requires a mindset mindset shift. Uh, but I think a certain level of openness to experience, uh, to use the uh, the Big Five personality trait, I think is required in order to really enjoy Burning Man. You have to be willing to say yes and to life Mm. to some extent at least and i think both of you have that uh, definitely in the age as he has proven and i think steven you would enjoy burning man as well but anyone listening if you don't like camping and (laughs) you if if you're you're not a very open to experience type of person and you're not willing to flex and be uncomfortable sometimes um, i don't know if burning man would be for you but i don't know what do you think about that in the age uh, I think that's correct, actually. Uh, I think everyone that goes is going to be miserable for at least part of the time. And honestly, I don't particularly like camping, I don't think. Although the last several times I've gone camping, I've loved it. So maybe yeah. what I think of as camping from my childhood and what I do as camping as an adult are very different things. But yes, mm-hmm. I, I would agree that some people, Burning Man just is not for them. Yeah, but you can find out pretty easily by just you know YouTube some Burning Man videos, uh, look up the survival guide. The Burning Man subreddit. I don't think the the YouTube would prepare you at all. Like, I I just, I don't know how one could get adequately psychologically prepared for burning, not psychologically prepared, get a feeling of what they are getting into without having been there first. Like, if if you're willing to, I don't know, explore an abandoned building in in Mm -hmm. a city or a suburb, then Burning Man is probably for you. If it's like, I would never step foot in an old abandoned factory, no matter what, even if I've been told there's something awesome in there, then then yeah, probably probably don't go to Burning Man. That's that's a good litmus test. I like that. I, I would I would use that. 
I can think for I can think of at least one person who I who I know would explore abandoned buildings and has, but wouldn't or at least says they wouldn't enjoy Burning Man, and I suspect that they know what they're talking about. Oh yeah, like I, I think the difference is like you can leave the building whenever you want. <laughs> That's a good point. And I, I think yeah. I think there is something about like look, you've surrendered to being here for, what is it, like 10 days? Yeah. I believe it's seven, but, uh, you know, we go in early, or I went in early for build, you can stay later for strike, and drive is a bit for uh, people who aren't in the California or Nevada area. You and, can technically leave anytime you want, except for this year when they locked us down. With the yes. of the game. <laughs> yeah. Every year except this year, and I hear 2014 maybe, you can you can leave whenever you want, but... You might be restricted from leaving whenever you want by if you came in with somebody else, if they mm-hmm. they would have to leave with you or you find alternate plans or something, um, which isn't too hard. You can walk out to the highway over the course of a few hours and hitchhike into the near city. You're, you're not that locked into it if you really want to go get out of there. Yeah, yeah. We, we, hmm. we usually have at least one or two people a year who leave a few days early just because, you know, life gets in the way or they're like, yeah, I'm done. I actually last year left uh, before the man burned on the day of the burn just because it was so awful for my partner that she could not stand to be there any longer. And I said, all right, that's fine. We we don't have to see the man burn. I don't want you to uh, kill me. <laughs> all right, that's the jokey way of putting it. I don't want you to be any more miserable any longer. Right, right. Didn't they not burn the man last year? Or was that the year before? Uh, though they burned the man. They delayed it by, I think, four hours for the winds to die down hmm. enough. On the subject of man burning and such... I highly recommend everyone visit the temple. Yes. I, the first time I visited the temple, I did not know what I was getting into, and that made the experience significantly more impactful. Okay. Visit the temple. Highly recommend. Um, yeah. It, it's a beautiful structure, and uh, it does get burned on Sunday, so you should visit, I believe, noon Saturday is when they close it to start loading it with explosives and flammables, so visit before Saturday. Visible for Saturday, and it's the it's the final thing that burns. It burns after the man, I believe. Yeah, it burns the next day. Yeah, and honestly, it's a it's a very powerful moment. Yeah, it's beautiful. Sounds wild. Well, I appreciate the sales pitch. I mean, I, I've been more inclined to trying new things the last few years. And uh, if I was on the fence an hour ago, I'm much less so now. So thanks, Alex. <laughs> you, you may be more on the fence when we have our personal talk because I am going to highlight a lot of the miserable things about it just so people are not caught as unaware as my partner was last year. She had a much better year this year because she knew what she was getting into. And I was trying to recreate for her the experience that I had my first year where I had no idea what was happening. And I was changed in a good way by that but uh it was it, that was not the case for her so I, I want to i want to make it better for I, I want to give people the option of not walking into misery yeah and the the on a on a meta level here like we talk about the various miserable aspects of running man we've experienced but honestly every year kind of has different challenges yeah uh, we had the dust storms last year. We had the rain this year. And God knows what's going to happen next year. Uh, maybe we'll have both. Maybe we'll have a swarm of locusts. Maybe we'll have an outbreak of Ebola. I don't I don't know. At Burning Man, every year is a fresh hell. <laughs> yes. Um, so be moderately prepared for all the hazards that people have experienced. And then uh, just uh, just provide some buffer room in whatever plans you make because uh, you will likely encounter things you did not prepare for. Sounds good. Yeah, I mean, as long as I wasn't seriously injured, you know, I think part of the part of the experience, and we'll see again how I feel after the long conversation of the shitty aspects of it, but any, any experience that involves that kind of heavy 
trials and tribulations, you know, you come out the other side of it having survived something rather than just experienced or enjoyed it, you know? Yeah. That sounds like its own reward as well. One last question, Alex. Is there anything from Burning Man that you are going to incorporate into the Guild of the Rose? Any sort of insights or... or... It's a good question. I had not thought about that. Burning Man and the Guild of the Rose. I, I mean, the main thing that I find valuable in Burning Man is the other people. Yeah. Um, my camp specifically and the people I interact with more generally. Like Burning Man isn't Burning Man if you're not interacting with people. Mm-hmm. And I think that the guild has always kind of incorporated that set of values into its in, into its foundations from the beginning. So in that sense, yes, I suppose. As far as like new stuff I wouldn't want to incorporate. I, there is a branch on the meditative tree that involves like finding out your core values and uh, also engaging with the narrative aspect of life. And I think somewhere on there, I would like to graft in a, tr- a branch that has that deals with finding magic in the mundane, like bringing bringing weirdness to the world in a in a fun, playful way that makes it a better place for yourself and everyone around you. I think that is also a valuable lesson I've learned from Burning Man is that there's magic everywhere and you just got to find it and coax it out of life. Hell yes. And for anyone who doesn't know what the Guild of the Rose is, it is a social, not just social, it is a rationalist organization that works with groups, cohorts to help everyone to help all of us increase our rationality, our skills, our ability to interact with and modify the world in ways that are better for us. Uh, anyone can join it at guildedtherose.org. They are very welcoming. Um, there is a subscription if you want to get into the deeper stuff, but you don't have to pay a subscription to get a taste for it. It is a great organization, and we promote it every episode because we really think they do good work. Thanks, guys. We appreciate being partnered with you. Nothing, nothing, Dad. You, you put that really well, Inyo. Ah, thanks. It did it off the cuff. It still apply magic <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> nice. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself. Sweet. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Alex. And we will talk to you again, I'm sure, relatively soon. Yes, definitely. I'll see you guys in the Discord as well. Hell yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Bye. Ciao. Well, I think I got last week's patron. Okay. Uh, so I, and I'm not just throwing the hard to pronounce one I eat this time. This one's actually fine. So that, that's not a hard to pronounce one then. No, no, that's, that's what I meant. Is like, usually I'll be like, I think it's your turn and I'll give you some Norse, you know, runes or whatever to decipher this one. Dan's nice enough to have a, have, have a nice name for us. <laughs> nice. Excuse me. Uh, a nice, simple to pronounce name. Yes. yes. Everyone here has beautiful names. <laughs> they do. This week, we are thanking Dan Cuck for being our patron. Thanks for helping us out. That name is incredibly familiar. I think he's been a listener for a long time. See on the Patreon? Is this subreddit? Why is the name so familiar? I will. We'll have to find out. Dan, you're awesome. We appreciate it. We will find out who you are and uh, extend a, a more personal thank you. Yes. Um, but thanks. Thanks for uh, helping spread the spread the good word of the Burning Man. I apologize for not being able to place where it's from, but I swear this name goes back years and years in my memory. Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll find it before we release the episode. Two last updates. Turns out that Daniel Cook is a listener that friended me on Facebook quite a while ago, which is where I remember the name from. Daniel, hello! Thank you for your patronage. It is greatly appreciated. Also, I have published my latest story on my blog. It is called The Real Fanfic is the Friends We Made Along the Way. 
It's a fun story that I had a great time writing and I've heard is really fun to read as well about an AI that is almost aligned with human values, but not quite. And therefore hijinks must ensue as demanded by narrative. The address is deathisbad.substack.com. It is also linked in the show notes. I hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, thanks everybody. See you in two weeks. Thank you, Inash, and thanks, Charlie, again. This was a really good conversation. Really, really fun to hear about it. Glad to hear. I hope it helps some people. I hope so, too. I'll see you guys later. Bye.